It's worth knowing what's really going on. This is the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Access Atlanta. Every week, we share some of the best places to eat, play, and live out loud in the ATL. And, of course, we go behind the scenes and find the stories that show Atlanta is one of a kind. Welcome to Access Atlanta. I'm your host, Shane Harrison. We've changed the way we do our podcast. That means we're recording it remotely from our homes, but we've also changed what we're talking about in the podcast, since we've always prided ourselves on providing guidance on things to do in and around Atlanta, and because most venues, theaters, and attractions are closed, we're going indoors, and in some cases where it's practical, outdoors to places where it's easy to practice social distancing. Criminal Records, located in Little Five Points, is celebrating a milestone this weekend. They've been supplying music lovers with CDs, vinyl, comics, and more for 30 years. Atlanta is a town that's rich in record stores, and many of them have been around a very long time. Criminal's anniversary puts them in that esteemed company. We're going to find out what keeps them going as Rodney Ho talks with owner Eric Levin about the venerable record shop and what they have planned to mark three decades in business. Welcome, Rodney. Hey, Shane. So you got to talk to Eric, who uh, has been doing this for a very, very long time. Yeah, he was just 21 years old when he came to Little Five Points and rented out a little tiny space right by Variety Playhouse. Um, And apparently he lived there for three years illegally, too, um, (laughs) which is hilarious. But I guess it's a good way to save money. He literally started with his own collection of LPs to open with and eventually, and it's funny, he timed it very well because it was August 14th, 1991, six weeks later, Nevermind by Nirvana came out and the whole grunge, you know, phenomenon and WRAS and that that really sort of kept him propelled and kept him going and he was able to eventually move to that larger space, um, you know, next Junkman's Daughter in 1994. And then then he took an even bigger risk in 2000. In 1990, let's see, was it in 1999, I think? No, 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 wait a second. It was 2014. He moved to the larger space. Um, right. He's in now. So he's, yeah. he's you, know, you know, what makes him interesting is that he, you know, he decided in the late 90s, just as the start of all that illegal downloading was starting. And he, I think he saw that, you know, business was, you know, was being, you know, while his business may not have been hurt so much, he saw problems and he decided to gather like 30 of the best indie record stores together uh, right. and create a coalition. And then about eight years later, they came up with, he came up with record store day, 
yeah. which became an international phenomenon. So, I mean, Eric Levin, whether it's, you know, criminal records comes or goes, he's, you know, he's created a legacy, which is impressive. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's great. Yeah, I remember, you know, the when they were Junkman's daughter, beside Junkman's daughter, and then then the move, but they've always been in Little Five Points. That's the thing. It's, you know, despite moving, being in three different locations, they've always been there at little, in Little Five Points. Yeah, I visited a couple weeks ago on a Saturday, and it was just hopping. I mean, the place is just still full of people, and it's huge range, diverse group of customers. You know, you got teenagers which is so cool and then you've got some older folks who are just trying to you know rebuild their their lp collections i spoke to right. somebody who they literally like threw out all their lps in the early 90s and they're having to start all over again you know and she's saying a little bit for her kids like she's trying to reintroduce her kids to some of this music and they they were just fishing around for stuff and it's just and, and people are spending money i mean you know it's easy you know you know how expensive some of the lps are but yeah so people spending 100 200 dollars a clip yeah um, yeah which, you know and you know, and the employees, they're all, you know, most of the employees are, you know, a lot of them are younger than the store, you know, some of them are just 21, 22. Right. And, and he says, you know, people still, teenagers still come in and want to work at a record store, you know, even in this day and age where you have streaming, you know, music at your fingertips, every song on earth you can grab anywhere. And yet people still want, even te some teenagers still want something in their hand, which yeah. is great. Yeah. Plus, I mean, it's just a great place to to hang out. I mean, when I when I was young, that was my favorite place to hang out, you know, in a record store. So um, there's something to be said for that that sense of community and the camaraderie that comes along with, you know, being with fellow music lovers in a record store. Yeah, and he said that he he doesn't hire. He really tries to hire people who are nice. I mean, I, I guess he almost got worried after High Fidelity came out. You know, the whole sass attitude thing. Yeah. He, he never really bought into that. You know, but he said after that movie came out, a lot of people expected it. They expected the employees to be obnoxious. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. When in fact, that's not really his hiring practice. He doesn't really like that too much. He just he just wants it to be an easygoing place for people to hang out. You know, whether you know anything about you come in cold and you know barely anything, and you don't need people to make fun of you if you like Barry Manilow. You know, if right. you don't like Sonic Youth, it's okay. You know. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's awesome. So uh, they, this is uh, their 30th anniversary. So they yeah. have stuff planned coming up this yeah, week. They got some, you know, a lot of freebies, um, people. He's got a lot of discounted LPs. Like he bought new LPs and he's selling them at a loss, like for $9.99. He's selling like Miles Davis LPs, uh, John Coltrane, some classic, you know, uh, you know, a Tribe Called Quest, because that was a big deal uh lp back in 1991 when he came out and you know pretty hate machine by nine inch nails he's going to have at least 15 to 30 copies of each of these albums you can only buy one like yeah right. you can't buy all 30 at a time right um, but you can buy one at a time and uh you know it's a nice little bargain for for the loyal uh criminal records people yeah um, and uh you know there's also going to be for 200 um people first first come first serve uh, they can get wristbands ahead of time. They could see Manchester Orchestra for free at night at his store. And Manchester Orchestra, uh, they're a local local band, you know, national nationally well known, and yeah. uh, they've you know done many in stores with him. So there's a, a, definitely a big loyalty factor there, and that's why they're doing it. Well, that's great. Well, um, you know, let's uh, hear from the man himself and uh, your conversation with Eric Levin of Criminal Records. Thanks, Rodney. Thank you, Shane. Hey, this is Rodney Hill with the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I am here with Eric Levin. He owns 
Criminal Records, which is a mainstay record store in Little Five Points. And they are celebrating 30 years of existence at that location. Uh, welcome, Eric. Thank you, Rodney. Glad to be here. So uh, you were a mere baby when you started this store back in 1991, right? Um, that was, uh, you were 21 years old at That's the time? Right. Yeah. What was your thought process when you're 21 and you're opening a record store? I mean, did you have money? Did you, what, what, what how did you even scrounge up even any cash to rent out a, a storefront in, on Moreland Avenue? Uh, well, to say there was a grand plan and a stack of money would be false. Um, the criminal records existed in my hometown of Ormond Beach which is Daytona Beach, Florida. And uh, it was very much a, well, just a baby store. And uh, I'd started it with my own collection that I'd gathered uh, from working at a mom and pop store. And- uh, What was the rent when you first started there? In you know, when I, uh, I, I was actually very, my father was very gracious. He didn't have money to give me, but he uh, allowed me space in, uh, in the rear of his optical shop which was a fun combination. Um, there was no combination at all. It was happenstance, but I was able to spend time with him and he was able to do something for me. And oh, okay. Store, yeah. The original store was actually just part of an optical store. Yeah. <laughs> right. yeah. And, and you were right by Variety Playhouse, right? You were relatively oh. close there? I'm sorry, this, is, this was in Florida. Oh, I am so sorry. I'm mixing up. So you actually started a store prior to criminal records in Florida. Is that what you're saying as a teenager? Yes. So this, uh, I, I was, so this is like a warm up to criminal records in a sense. Right? Very much so. I was 19 at the time. And that was, uh, that was fun. Um, <laughs> uh, and uh, did you learn the basics of business uh, on the go, so to speak? <laughs> well, I started at, uh, at another record store when I was 13. And um I was just the shop rat. I wouldn't leave. So he finally gave me a job. And uh, I learned a lot what not to do from him. Uh, then applied my own uh, lack of brilliance and uh, messed up many, many times over the years. Uh, and I really didn't get the hang of it until my wife took over on the finances about five years ago. So that's... Oh, really? Wow. <laughs> Well, that's well, a story yeah. for later. But um, so you came to Atlanta when? Uh, what made you come from Florida to Atlanta? Uh, well, there was a few reasons. The main was I, I wanted to follow my late brother up here. Um, I, I came up one weekend to see Atlanta, see where he was moving, uh, and to hang out with dear friends here who had also migrated from um, Ormond Beach, Daytona Beach. And uh, I fell in love with the, with the city immediately and literally decided to move up at that moment. And I was up within two weeks. So when I arrived with the truck, it was with my childhood bedroom and a fully formed, small but fully formed record store and uh, gave myself a couple weeks of roaming around Atlanta, kind of checking things out, learning how to drive these streets and uh, opened up. And what, what, why Little Five Points? What drew you to that neighborhood? I mean, it, was, it was just... Uh, <laughs> it was so special and still is. And uh, it was so perfectly aligned with what I thought uh, life should be and 
what my store should be able to achieve. Uh, of course, I was charmed by Wax and Facts. I thought they were uh, just a great, great record store. And they're still there too. They so they've they, they're actually been there longer than you. Oh yeah, no, they're they're the leaders. They've been uh, from Danny Beard's record label, which awe-inspiring to just their their capacity and their ability uh, i'm a huge fan but also fellini's pizza i was in there at 2 a.m and they were playing sonic youth and i just thought i've never heard sonic youth outside of my own stereo uh in florida so i i just fell in love and i at the time there was there wasn't a vacant space in little five points and uh had a really charming real estate agent named Patty McGill. And uh, she was very familiar with the scene. And uh, I was actually going to sign a lease at the Midtown Promenade, which would have been, you know, I would have been out of business years ago if I'd done that. Uh, and she found a, uh, a florist next to the uh, Variety Playhouse called Sassy Maru. And she, <laughs> she knew the landlord, Don Bender, very well. And, you know, she knew that she just knew everything. And I was signing a new lease with uh, Don Bender, uh, who's quite famous around the Atlanta, uh, the Little Five area. He's just a gentle and wonderful landlord, and he um, he turned a he turned a blind eye because he knew I was living there as well. And of course, that's not allowed. But you, know, <laughs> oh, you you actually you actually rented the space out and lived in the back area for a while <laughs> yeah for about three years until i moved up to the oh my the, gosh uh, Avenue, did yeah. anybody ever know you lived there or did they just turn a blind eye to that fact <laughs> oh i think everybody knew <laughs> just, i mean it was kind of obvious uh was there even a shower i mean how did you keep yourself clean <laughs> I, I, I had a good friend who uh who let you go I, in okay, i always had gotcha. the key to her her apartment up the nice. street Oh, that's cool. how much how much square footage was your original store oh gosh 400 square feet oh my gosh teeny so but how how, yeah. how many cds and lps did you have in the opening day <laughs> oh gosh i didn't add them up it was all of them <laughs> each sale was kind of hard because they were from my collection uh yeah what, what in the beginning this was when vinyl was dying this was 1991 and cds were ascended so what percentage of your collection originally was cds versus lps the first location in florida went through my lps pretty fast but then by that point i was able to purchase used collections and i, I kept that going the import 12 inch trade was really good okay that was still active in 1991 so you, yeah. you focused a lot on 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 import lps yeah in 1991 yeah huge dance culture industrial dance music uh florida type music which didn't translate so well up here um mm -hmm. mostly because there were a lot of uh, in the midtown area a lot of uh, those specialty stores that were just super cool and way better well you <laughs> opened on august 14th 1991 Six weeks later, a band called Nirvana with Nevermind came out. How did that impact you? I saved my life. Uh, I mean, it, in no uncertain terms, uh, I made my fortune off uh, Nirvana, Nevermind. My fortune <laughs> was very large, but uh, 
uh, it was just a great time. I mean, uh, all the records, that one in particular, but Smashing Pumpkins, Gish, uh, Tribe Called Quest, uh, Beats, Rhymes, and Life. Um, yeah, those early days, that was actually a kind of a very interesting period of time for music, wasn't it? The, the, uh, the burgeoning you know, indie scene was just starting to crack open and go commercial in a sense. So we're still about a year away from 99X debuting. You already had WRAS at that point, right? Really um, helping you guys, right? In sales. Oh, RAS was unbelievable. Uh, I mean, the, um, their ability to program around what sounded right, right then was uh, so extraordinary. And I would go through their... Um, top 100 and just digging and digging and digging and bringing in everything you know I, I felt I was a failure if I didn't have every single thing they had um 99x was you know obviously influence a huge influence on uh Atlanta but at that point we had so many major major record stores hurdles became Blockbuster, the three Atlanta CD locations, two Tower Records, uh, plus all the other. Yeah, um, so, but cool you were able to, by 1994, you were able to go to your larger space, right? By Aurora Coffee, right? And uh, Junkman's Daughter, around the yeah. corner. We all took over, it, well, uh, we all approached it together. I brought in Aurora and um, Don Bender brought in me. But it was really Pam Majors and Junkman's daughter who bought that former grocery store, Value Food. And um, I was a little, uh, I had no hard feelings. I was kicked out of the cradle. Um, Seven Stages got a huge grant to buy their building and upgrade their building. So it was the right thing to do artistically, I felt. I was like, yeah, I'll leave without a fuss. Well, you were lucky to find a new space, in other words, that was... I, and it was bigger, right? It was significantly larger than 400 square feet, right? How, how big was the new space? Gosh, how big was that space? At least 3,000 square feet. Yeah, it's, it's a good size for a record store, isn't it? It was, you know, it had a lot of great benefits. The cool parking lot where we were able to do concerts. and Yeah, I saw the Indigo Girls there with you. I remember, yeah, watching them. And uh, you're, uh, you, you're able to expand your, you know, what you had to offer too with 3,000 square feet, right? You, you, it wasn't just uh, LPs, right? Um, well, it was, that was the CD location. That was yeah. really where CDs became um, such a huge part of the landscape. Um, and we had started comic books pretty early on, like within the first three months at the gotcha. old location. So we were really able to expand that selection, which was huge. And I just, I was able to follow my whims, you know, when DVDs arrived, we were one of two places you could get them. Um Hi-Fi buys and criminal records. And I just like uh, the early days of CDs, I was everyone that came out, you know, I would stock and um, of course I'd segue to Blu-rays and, you know, we had rock art and pinball machines. You know, I just kept trying anything that fit. Um, toys are still part of our mix. Um, yeah, the, the um, yeah, what, uh, what were some of the interesting you know, in-store acts and in the early days, who, who came, who, who came by a lot? Oh gosh. You guys up. I've been going through my um, archives, getting ready for this moment. And uh, I've been publishing a lot on the social media. So a lot of these uh, memories have been stirred up. Uh, 
one of our earliest and grandest, most important for me as a, uh, my music level was Meat Puppets. And uh, that was just, that was a triumphant day for me. And uh, oh, Yeah, you held a concert, right? A, a criminal records concert. Uh, it wasn't, it, it was at a field, right? Uh, not too far away or? Well, it was across the street from the first location. Yes. And, and right in front of the store and the, the field across before um, the Bass Lofts. Now, back then it was the gotcha. Bass Lofts. I know exactly uh, what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. It was full of people. It was just a beautiful Saturday and the band weren't getting a long set. Uh, they were on the Horde tour. And I, I just remember they were like, can we play longer? And, uh, you know, this is just beautiful. And we were like, yeah, you know, so we just threw this outdoor fest. It was just great. And, um, I mean, that, that must have been so cool. I mean, you were like, what, 22 years old, right? This is, this yeah. Is what do. <laughs> yeah, that, I mean, I just felt so good. Like, okay, Lena's going to work out. And I, uh, yeah. you said, you know, Billy Corgan would come by and, uh, you know, the Rage Against the Machine lead singer, Zach, right? He, he, he played pinball, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, Rage Against the Machine were recording with Brendan O'Brien and uh, Zach uh, finishes work early. And he was just kind of, you know, contracted to be in Atlanta. But, you know, well, the band twiddled and, and fussed about the recording. So he didn't really have anything to do. Um, and he, got, he was there every day for what's months. <laughs> and uh, we joked with him because we knew, you know, we knew him by that point. We knew he worked at a record store prior to his, you know, huge superstardom. And he's like, do you want to work here, dude? And he's like, nah, man, I just want to play pinball. So we, we would all engage him on, you know, two-player. Oh, he, you would compete with him. Well, did he get better than you? <laughs> he was killer, but uh, I'm awesome at pinball, too. So. Okay. All right. That's... Yeah, I actually remember this was, this, I haven't thought of this in a long time. Uh, Jeff Buckley was doing his residency at the Point, and he lived in Atlanta. God rest his soul. Yeah, God, yep. Um, and he was, not, you know, he was a friend. He, he he was in town at the uh, working with my roommate at the time uh, for Sony Music, a uh, great local named uh, Chris Siciliano. So, you know, it was kind of our job to hang and, you know, invite him along to nighttime activities. And we were uh, at the Claremont Lounge playing there. Uh, I was playing their pinball machine. and Because uh, that's what people go to the Claremont Lounge for, right? Well, it's, Certainly, what I went for. Uh, <laughs> no, I, you know, anytime uh, Daytona is such a tourist and arcade type town that I, I definitely grew up playing pinball. That's very funny. Um, and, uh, yeah, but I, I wasn't going to let Jeff win. I didn't care who he was. Uh, actually, he wasn't anybody at that point. And uh, you know, he was just another dude trying to beat me at pinball. And. Uh, I just wasn't that good so you know I'd have these half hour runs and they just feel sorry for him let him play for about a minute and then you know so he just ended up getting pissy and quitting and I thought that was you know it's like my memory of wow so you can you can do pinball for like 30 straight minutes that's that's that says something yeah you have spent a lot of time from a pinball machine that's too funny um did you did you have any struggles financially the first 10 or 15 years like were there moments when you're like oh my god i'm not going to make it or i don't know what the heck i'm doing or were you able to figure it out like you say you didn't really have your until your wife really took over the finances have you always been kind of on the edge 
Yeah, pretty much. I mean, it's, I mean, record stores are a very low margin. You know, I think it, uh, for any record store out there, except, well, even Tower ultimately got. Uh, it was never a high margin business, you're saying. No, it's a, no. It's a, it's, a, it's a business of love and passion, right? It's yeah. a, I mean, you could say the same for any restaurant or. Sure. I guess you, I guess you can't say that for bars. They've got they've got good markup but no it's not a clothing store a candle shop you know the to be competitive and have people interested you really have to price to sell and uh you know i came up during the 9.99 cds at best buy era um so yeah it was cut it was very very harsh uh for the first few years and uh, what what was it like hiring um people uh you know, trying to find good workers who who knew their stuff. What, what was kind of your criteria, and how did you sort of figure out who's the right criminal records employee? Like, what you know, was they all yeah. they always arrived, and they do through this day. You just uh, you know, there's no res resume process or application process. You you just know, right? You can just sometimes sense it, right, and feel it. Like when somebody yeah. starts hovering around, spends an, an extraordinary extraordinary amount of time at the at the store like you did when you were a teenager you just hovered <laughs> that's how i've that's how i've always picked them um and then of course any you know anybody that i know that's performed on stage that wants to spend time with us is almost an instant in uh just yeah, a lot of them are musicians too right a lot of the record store employees right they also know their music yeah uh, but i presume you you know when you saw the movie high fidelity did you want your employees to be snooty and a little bit have a little attitude or did that not really work for you you know that was by i remember watching it with one of my staffers uh and we both looked at each other and like this is going to be bad this is going to be bad for record store culture um you can't invent um sass but throughout the years sass has come through um I think the customers made a game of it as well. Um, oh, sure. I'm sure they came in and made fun of it, right? <laughs> well, you know, expecting it. Um, yeah. Oh, expecting it. it. That's funny. <laughs> there's a um, there's a restaurant in Chicago called Ed DeBevix, and it's staffed by all these Second City comedians, you know, or comedians to be. And they have a reputation for it's, you know, it's sassy. The waiters sit down at your table with you and they smack gum and talk crap. And that's part of the experience. I certainly never. That wasn't your thing. I, you know, I didn't. I think it happened because people have come to me and said, oh, you guys were jerks. I'm like, oh, were we? Because I never wanted people to be intimidated. But yeah, and that, that's a tough one. I, you know, I'm not. I mean, how would you describe the culture of criminal records? I mean, or what you've developed over the years? What do you feel like people should feel when they come in for the first time? I mean, it really should be Willy Wonka-y and friendly um, mm -hmm. and family friendly. I mean, that's always been, I, I felt part of the mission with uh, kids coming in for comics and adult kids. Um, I've certainly seen so many families grow up in the store and I've loved hiring <laughs> kids that I've seen grow up. And uh, then, 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 some of my team members have families now that, I mean, yeah. they're old like me and they're, you know, 
<laughs> it took 30 years, but we all got old. The um, you you were what was the point? How did you come up with Record Store Day? I mean, that was a concept. You know, obviously, uh, what year did you come up with it, and and why did it even enter your brain? Well, I'd been um, behind the scenes. I had formed a uh, coalition uh, called the Alliance of Independent Media Stores, and it was. 30 stores like mine across the country. Yeah, what year did you do that? What was approximately, you don't, yeah, we're not here. Yeah, I'm not sure. Late 90s or? Yeah, I think think 99. So this was just as um, downloading was starting, illegal downloading was starting, right? (laughs) That was that that dark area. Uh, And this speaks to both. We were, I picked the 30 stores that were doing really well. We're like criminal records, uh, Shake It in Cincinnati, Sonic Boom in Seattle, um, Good Records in Dallas. Uh, I mean, I can name Grimey's in Nashville, which is now okay. one of the country's uh, most beloved record stores. And we really teamed up for camaraderie and politics within the industry, but also to sell advertising. Um, a label that we will all do this, this, and this for this amount worked out really well and yeah oh so it gave you guys a little bit of power versus say tower records right or best buy right it gave you a little bit of leverage a little bit of leverage you know there were other um i mean we never could tilt the wheel against the big guys i mean best buys yeah you know like amazon or target if they say they want something and they want to take a label's money to produce something or a sale price they they're mighty 30 stores not so much sure but to that but it, was, it was something right at least you 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 made you made a difference right at least however small you did make a difference and it did and then to, to the point um there were two other coalitions that we kind of linked arms with copied their model um worked together um and we would annually meet in a group convention. So cool. say record labels didn't have to go to our convention and their convention. We could all team up and maybe have a cool band play for us. And it was worth it for the investment That's so cool. in the band's times. And it, I'm going to mess up my dates because I'm not sure. 14... And then, then how did Record Store Day come about? That, that sounds like it was a um, something that came out of that, right? That's what I'm leading up to, but I can't remember the date. But we all met in uh, <laughs> around 2007 or something. I mean, the problem yeah. by, by the mid-2000s is that people were starting to download. CD sales were dropping. Um, vinyl had not really picked up quite yet in a comeback mode. So you, was that kind of a dead zone for you guys? Or that was like, oh, my God, you know, the trends are not looking good for us. And now, what you just said on a nutshell was what we wanted to fight against. Yeah. Because that was perception, but it wasn't the reality. Okay, fair enough. Um, for those of us t- trying to toot our own horns, we were all successful. Not all of us. I mean, the day we came up uh, with Record Store Day, and we all had our notepads, and a bunch of us sat around in a meeting and said, like, you know, what about Eric's idea for this record store day, which is totally based on free comic book day. Um, Power announced they were going out of business. 
And so we all were just like, oh my God, this is just, this is all we're going to hear about and that we're all dead. And right. uh, yeah, that, that's how the storyline would go like Blockbuster dying, right? It would be like all video stores are gone, right? It's, and yet we still have Videodrome down the street, right? <laughs> absolutely. Um, and that's that. Fighting that perception was my really my only goal. My only that makes mission. sense. Yeah, I mean, it's a storyline that it, that works in our brains, but maybe wasn't true for you know enough enough people who could keep you guys around. Yeah. Um, but what the idea of Record Store Day? What made it appealing? You think to the consumer? Well, the early years were parties. We didn't um, the notion of collectible uh, album releases and special items took a while to grow and it was never actually my bag i i con consistently worked on the media angle and that took a lot of right convincing a lot of writers and then convincing their editors who just weren't buying my my words my pieces you know they were like prove it first record store man we proved it it was just my store alone we had janelle monet and coat hangers and andy from manchester orchestra we had a whole slew of bands all day long and it was awesome it was the first year was just killer the second year even better because we got more attention from the industry and like well let's send some marquee talent out um the first and, year and media started picking up on it too right so you were getting some good media coverage as well it, boy it took about three events for the media to really pick up and i think gotcha. Um, and I was still get like, I got, <laughs> I don't know what the word is, honey trapped, uh, into a California radio broadcast. I didn't know where they were those like shock jocks. Uh oh. They just, I just thought I was doing another interview. Oh, uh, kind of like the regular uh, guys of California. <laughs> exactly. And I was like, I was like, okay, that interview was fun. Those guys were funny. And then when I heard it, I was like, oh my God, you guys, you know, it's like, that's not the thing. Uh, so I, I kind of learned pretty early to, to research who I'm getting interviewed by. Uh, that was, but, but I, I, guess, I guess you picked up media savviness too, right? I mean, obviously marketing your store is important, right? It, it doesn't hurt to get, even in this day and age, it doesn't hurt to get coverage, right? It's uh, to yeah. remind people that you exist, right? I mean, you don't have a massive budget. I mean, you can do social media, right? I mean, you have a big following already, right? But it never hurts to get the word out, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and it, it, it did take a while uh, with Record Store Day, as I said. And then we started to really get like a lot of quality uh, collector's items. And then we went international. And that was such a learning curve. And that was really still remains very fun. Uh, the French and the UK. And, um, are and are record stores as healthy in a lot of the other countries as they are here? yeah i mean it's we want records from them they want records from us we now do uh healthy import export um everything was interesting we and we learned along the way and brought our own knowledge like trademarking the name record store day and um we don't really have a fundraising apparatus for record store day a lot of it most of it is volunteer mm -hmm. um of those 30 stores you started working with in 99, how many of them are still around? And that was 20 years ago. Yeah, we lost six and not too bad. Um, no, you have 80% survival rate over 20 years is insane. So that's that 
definitely means you pick, you've definitely picked the best ones. And uh, that's impressive. And I mean, honestly, obviously in 91, you had no idea you'd still be doing this 30 years later, but how, how do you feel now that you're 51? It's like, I'm still at it. <laughs> Are you still enjoying it? Yeah. You know, it's, I, I, I do have the flexibility of uh, choosing projects I want to work on both with my coalition and with Record Store Day and the same thing at Criminal. Um, and I did want to mention, you know, we didn't mention that you did move to even a bigger space. Oh. Kind of, yeah, I remember we um, we talked about this in 2014. I think I wrote about it, but it was it seemed like a risky move for you to go pretty much. Did you just double your space? You went to an even larger yeah. space. Right? Yeah. Um, in 2014. You know, it wasn't on my radar. We had just um, bought Aurora Coffee, mm-hmm. which uh, I can't say that was reckless. I worked on it for a year and a half with the owners and okay. studied everything and learned everything about it. But that was really hard. I, you know, I think I, I went from really wanting something to like, oh, this is a huge burden. You know, re- restaurant cafes, really different. Um, and in the middle of that, do you still have an ownership stake in Aurora? No, I was able to yeah. sell that to one okay. of my, my criminal record staffers. Oh, uh, nice. Okay. And uh, uh, But the new space of criminal records, what was the challenges there? And uh, how have you been able to make that work? You know, I walked past it. It was Don Bender again. And uh, so I had the familiarity and comfort there. What was that space before? At the, immediately before, it was a futon store. Okay. I think it might have been, oh, I can't even remember the name, but they'd been there for a while. How little and five he, points, a futon place, yes. Yeah. I, mean. <laughs> I, I think the, the dude lived there too, because there's evidence. <laughs> when I moved in, there was like, I think dude lived here. Um, but it, the, the main challenge was Euclid Avenue and the just moving back and moving and confusing customers. and. Uh, but we were so out of room. We just had our hands tied in the other location. Um, we couldn't, I, I mean, we could have survived, but we wouldn't, well, we wouldn't have grown. Uh, and the good news is by 2014, vinyl was picking up, right? It was starting to, it was starting to be a revival, right? At that point. And that gave us the, the new location really gave us the room to branch out. And um, is it fair? I mean, maybe with the exception of Fantasyland, I mean, you guys may have more LPs than even them. I, I don't know. It's probably a close call. I, I don't know who has more LPs. I don't know. The, you know, they, uh, you know, there's some wonderful record stores in town. You know, I know. Up. There are quite a few now. Yeah, it's impressive. Yeah. Um, Decatur CD's got a great LP selection. Ella Guru. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and what's nice is you are, while you're competing with these other stores in a sense, you, you are supportive of the entire culture, right? I mean, it's like the more the merrier, right? I mean, you're, you're not one of those types of owners that is trying to take everybody else down, right? <laughs> no, not at all. Um, I mean, I've al- always been like, <laughs> well, pre-email, uh, just calling stores on the phone, do you got this? I got a customer, you know, we'll send them your way and vice versa you know wax and packs and i have missed you know the, the ups driver sees sony on a box and i'll just take this to criminal records it's like i, I don't know what these are and we'll just run them up to them and yeah um, you guys are really just a two-minute walk right <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and we've just always been friends i mean if you've got the commonality of love of music then why wouldn't you be friends with everyone else 
Well, b- well, before we go, tell me a little bit about what you're going to do on Saturday uh, the 14th to celebrate. Um, I, I know the, p- the pandemic probably forced you to not make it like a full day of bands and stuff, right? You, you, you scaled back a little bit. Yeah, that, there was nothing we could do, but uh, we at seven, and this is a closed event for 200 people. Um, oh, yeah, already, you already got the wristbands already handed out, right, for this one? They're not, all, we still, as of this okay. today. Uh, there are still a few. So this yeah, is Manchester right. Orchestra, a local band who have been very successful nationally. Um, they've performed with you guys many times, and they're giving you a little free acoustic set, right? A couple of the members of the band, right? Yep. Um, Andy and Rob, the leaders. Um, and maybe some guests we've been to. Oh, could be a surprise um, or two. Could be. Um, and that's, you know, we, we close at seven and then, you know, usher out the last of our customers and usher in the line for this performance. Nice. nice. And, and uh, you open a little early on Saturday to celebrate. It's 11 to seven, right? And you've 11 got, to seven. you got some bargains, right? I mean, anybody who wants a decent bargain for an LP, because a lot of the new LPs cost, what, 25, 28, $30, right? Yes. Uh, and you are going back to the old Best Buy <laughs> $9.99 thing, right? Is that what? <laughs> yeah, we have got 30 titles. Um, uh, I would consider them essentials uh, for nine ninety yeah. nine each, with the usual caveats. One per, one per. Sure, person. sure. Yeah, you got yeah. like Coltrane. You got what? What, what do you got uh, available here? Uh, kind Miles of uh, Miles Davis, kind of blue. Um, Tribe Called Quest, Beats Rhymes Live. And you got some picture discs too, right? I mean, some cool picture discs as well, right? Purple Rain, uh, yeah. Prince Purple Rain picture disc, That's Velvet Underground, presumably purple, right? <laughs> Uh, well, it's actually the, that iconic image of him on the uh, motorcycle. Oh, cool. Oh, my goodness. Uh, the cover for Purple Rain. Wow, that's going to go and, very fast, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, and we've got like Kendrick Lamar and Childish Gambino. Uh, How and Green I guess Ridge. a couple of callbacks, and you mentioned a couple of callbacks in 1991, A Tribe Called Quest, right? I mean, that was... Yep. Uh, Nine Inch Nails, Pretty Hate Machine. That was a pretty important early 90s record. Um, we got those for nine. But one I noticed was not on the list was Nevermind. <laughs> you know, I, honestly, I think that one was couldn't find it, couldn't get enough well, copies. Couldn't exactly. You know, we had to choose these not based on price because we're losing money on all of them. Right, it's availability. Yeah, it's availability, and wow. uh, in, this, in this day and age, it's you know just to order thirty copies of a record is you're you're not going to get them. Um, yeah, it, 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 there's so much demand for vinyl now. There aren't enough places making vinyl, right? So it's it's hard to keep up which is a in a weird way a good problem to have you know but uh, still probably annoying for you as a as a retail store yeah it's it really is you know especially for the earth the well i can't <laughs> records have been around a long time i have no ownership of them but uh to see the exclusive runs of you know twenty five thousand luke bryan or whoever um lps for walmart yeah, that eats up a lot of capacity. Yeah, I get that. Yeah, it that eats up sense. all of them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So, yeah, if you're an indie band or even like a Manchester orchestra, it's not necessarily easy to get even 3,000 copies made, right? It's, it's no, it is. Yeah. But we do have, at least in Georgia, we have a, a, a new final replicator out of Athens, Kindercore. They're doing great work. Mm-hmm. And uh, so in some ways, an indie band can sneak into the smaller uh, replicators, which is gotcha. a nice trend. I'm asked for Saturday. We also have, we're just giving away a bunch of stuff. We're 
Um, we have a wonderful Ronnie Land designed mm -hmm. uh, insulated cooler bag that we've mm -hmm. just made a ton of, a thousand of. And so everybody's going to get a nice bag and cool uh, slip mats and postcards and stickers. Oh, it should be a lot of fun. Um, yeah, it's going to be a zoo, right? Uh, I presume you'll be out there. I mean, how you how do you think you're going to feel? I mean, are you just going to feel old, or are you going to feel proud? I mean, what what sort of emotions do you think you're going to feel as that day goes along? I uh, this has been a spot on my calendar for a long time, like a 50th birthday or so. It's a big one for me. Um, yeah. yeah. Originally, I wanted to downplay it and just not pat myself on the back or be modest. I think I'll let some pride slip in. Good. And that's what we're here for. <laughs> well, well, thank you so much, Eric. Um, you know, Criminal Records, an institution in Little Five Points, celebrating its 30th on August 14th. Come on by. Um, what's the official address for folks who uh, who may not know? If you want to, even though you could just type it into your Google Maps, I guess. Uh, just type sure. in Criminal Records. I mean, it's the it's the heart of Little Five Points, 1154 Euclid Avenue. Yeah, what's it between? What are the stores between you two? Uh, the, the porter beer bar and uh, urban accents who she's been there a long time um the, the, the yacht club yeah i guess they'll, <laughs> the they'll, they'll, they'll have to tolerate some pretty big crowds outside your store on saturday but i'm sure they'll be okay with it <laughs> well they're used to it record store day always brings out a big crowd sure I don't, yeah i don't know i hope uh i hope people don't line up in the hot sun i mean i want them to come but i want them to be comfortable Oh, absolutely. Well, thank you. Thank you, Eric. And, um, and good luck uh, for the next umpteenth years. I don't know how many more years you want to do this or what the future lay is there, but I get the sense you're, you're not going any, anywhere anytime soon. Right? I got nothing else to do. <laughs> Man, yeah, you, you made a career commitment when you were 21. It's like uh, you're, you're not going to start um, building robots or, um, you know, curing cancer at this point, right? <laughs> no, I'm afraid not. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> I've got some nieces that might carry it on, but I don't Good. know. <laughs> All right. Well, th thank you so much, Eric. Thanks, Ron. Appreciate it. Take care. Stevie Nicks, in an abundance of caution, has pulled out of all her scheduled concert dates in 2021 due to the COVID-19 variant causing a huge uptick in cases in recent weeks. That includes Atlanta's Shaky Knees Festival, a three-day event scheduled October 22nd through the 24th at Central Park in Atlanta. Nix, 73, was set to headline the Friday night festivities. The Foo Fighters were quickly named as her replacement. Keep up with all the latest postponements and cancellations on AJC.com. An epiphany inspired Atlanta Symphony Orchestra harpist Elizabeth Remy Johnson to found the Marion Ensemble, a chamber ensemble devoted to performing music from women composers. Her sense of musical purpose also informs her amazing new recording, Quest, released this summer on Albany Records. This story is part of our partnership with Arts ATL, a nonprofit organization that plays a critical role in educating and informing audiences about Metro Atlanta's arts and culture. Read the rest of the story on AJC.com. After a national search, the Atlanta Ballet has named Tom West its new executive director. West, 54, formerly head of advancement at the American Film Institute in Los Angeles, will take the reins September 27th. A native of Nashville and a graduate of the University of Florida, West began his career in arts management at the Kennedy Center for the Performing Arts, where he ultimately served as Vice President of Advancement. 
find out more about Tom West and keep up with all the latest news on Atlanta's cultural institutions at AJC.com. For an artist, having your work acquired by the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York is a signal but rare achievement. Often ranked as one of the top 10 museums in the world, with holdings of more than 2 million paintings, sculptures, prints, drawings, and artifacts spanning 300,000 years BCE to the present, the Met's collection is as expansive as it is selective. And there is, of course, the highly anticipated annual benefit, Met Gala, that draws about as much national attention and money to the museum's costume collection as it does to the celebrities who show up in gowns and costumes tailored to instantly go viral. So, it was with equal measures of pride and disbelief that Atlanta artists Don Williams Boyd and Julie Torres greeted the news that the 150-year-old institution had acquired their work a few weeks ago. Find out more about these artists in Rosalind Bentley's story on AJC.com. For more things to do in and around Atlanta, go to AJC.com. The podcast is edited by Tyson Horn. The theme music is by Bo Emerson and Billy Guen, and I'm your host, Shane Harrison. Join us next week for more Access Atlanta. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown. The Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution.